This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Welcome to the Playlist Podcast, a weekly discussion of films and TV. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, managing editor of the Playlist. And this week, as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mike D'Angelo and Brian Farver. How are you guys doing? Doing well. How are you, Brian? Great. What's happening? (laughs) Well, we're going to do a podcast. Oh. Hey. Oh, hey. hey. (laughs) Is that what we're doing? Yeah, yeah. Surprise. (laughs) Anyway... This week is brought to you by the letter F, as we take inspiration from the beloved kids show Sesame Street, not really, (laughs) and discuss three topics that begin with the letter Freaky, Fat Man, and Fincher. That's right, we're talking about two new releases this week, Universal's latest Blumhouse horror, Freaky, and the Mel Gibson as Rambo Santa film, Fat Man. Then, at the uh, last half of the episode, we're going to talk about... David Fincher. He's got his new movie, Mank, coming out this Friday in select theaters. And we're going to highlight some of our favorite movies um, because, you know, we're all doing that Fincher rewatch before December. But before we get to the movies this week, the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Discourse, Be Real, The Fourth Wall, and more. And as always, if you want to find us, you can check us out on your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, anywhere else you find your favorite shows. But enough about that. Let's talk about the masterpieces of this week, beginning with Freaky. Before I get to you guys, I'll just go over what Freaky is for those who don't know. Freaky is a, like I said, it's a new Blumhouse horror movie from Universal. It's directed by Christopher Landon, who he co-wrote the script with Michael Kennedy. Christopher Landon, of course, did the Happy Death Day movies. And the synopsis reads... After swapping bodies with a deranged serial killer, a young girl in high school discovers she has less than 24 hours before the change becomes permanent. So, yes, this is like Freaky Friday, but with serial killers and Blumhouse stuff. Let's start with Brian. What did you think of Freaky? Well, one of my all-time favorite movies, no joke, is Vice Versa. I do – I love Vice Versa. Versa. Um, (laughs) Coming in hot with the Vice Versa. Yeah. So, I mean, going into this – Maybe I was naive to expect that this would be anything like vice versa. Uh, I knew it wouldn't be. Um, that that said, um, I, I mean, this movie I thought was very just middle of the road. It, there was nothing that really shocked or surprised me. Um, what you just described, the premise of the film, it, it plays out as anyone would expect other than the fact that these two people switch bodies. Um, it is very amusing to see. Uh, Vince Vaughn uh, act as a teenage girl. Yeah, and... let me. I, I forgot to mention, just for for those who don't know, Vince Vaughn is the serial killer, and Catherine yes. Newton is the teenage girl, and they do switch bodies. Yes, and now 
and I, I guess I want to uh, posit this question to both of you. Uh, I, I enjoyed what Vince Vaughn was doing. I mean, it was it was ridiculous enough that I, I thought it it worked for the most part. It didn't work all the time. But I, I want to refer to Shazam on this one. And I, we've talked about Shazam just in the past about how when the when Billy turns into Shazam, it's like he's a different character altogether. And I kind of felt that way about about the girl. I just felt that she I don't know, maybe we didn't have enough time with Vince Vaughn before the swap occurred. By the way, that swap scene is nuts. Um, <laughs> I couldn't make heads or tails of what what we were seeing in terms of those those PC level graphics there, but um, <laughs> like I don't know. I, I and that's I think maybe a good jumping off point here because I couldn't tell if she was doing a good job emulating Vince Vaughn, but at the same time, like I said, we didn't have enough time with Vince Vaughn before the swap occurred. I don't know. Uh, what I will say is that her she had a she has a trio of friends in this movie, three friends and the guy really annoyed me uh some of his lines in fact yes his first line that i believe he says to her friend in the park really gave me a headache um sure sure sure. yeah uh overall though i know i'm kind of spitballing a little bit here just going all over the place but overall i i mean mike you had said that um just off mic that you know the, the happy death day films are better and i will agree with that I, nothing about this movie was really all that shocking. For some reason, it gave me kind of a weird House of Wax vibe. Some of the deaths did anyway. I don't know. It was not <laughs> You are not pulling great. out some references tonight, Not man. horrible, yeah. Vice uh, versa and House of Wax. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Shout out to all my House of Wax homies, all four of you. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'll be curious to hear what you guys think. It was just okay. It was It was not unwatchable. We'll put it that way. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, I'm pretty lined up with Farver on this one in that it is not unwatchable. Uh, I did like the Happy Death Day movies better. I was a fan of uh, the first one, a, a pretty big fan of the first one. And um, coming into this one, uh, I've seen some some good things out of Vince Vaughn recently. Um, he's made some kind of cool dramatic choices uh, in the past, you know, however That's true. many handful of years that uh that i've really been on board for um and Catherine newton i mean i recognized her i was trying to figure out where i knew her from and i think it was the detective pikachu movie that drove me absolutely insane uh (laughs) that uh that i recognized her most from but i know i'd seen her in like blockers and stuff like that as well but to be fair she was also in big little lies so she she does have quite a few credits under her name yeah she's got a lot going on for her and and she was fine in this one i think she did a better job of being the vince vaughn character than vince vaughn did of being her Uh, i will concur with you brian in that vince vaughn's uh teenage girl portrayal was kind of like stereotypical teenage girly girl and yeah. Catherine Newton's character, Millie, was really not that. Um, yes. So there was a lot of like hand fanning and all kinds of like weird little girly things that he would do, which were yeah. entertaining, but not necessarily in line with the character herself. And, you know, her friends, I wasn't as annoyed by. I'm sure Brian was just, you know, chopping at the bit to say something about poor Josh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he was fine. He was kind of a, a bit of a stereotype, but yes, <laughs> it, he didn't annoy me too much. 
Um, I guess, you know, predictable, yes. Entertaining, it's good for a once through, I would say, but I wouldn't say, you know, rush out and, uh, you know, track this down in a theater or anything. Um, uh, definitely wait for VOD if it's not VOD Friday. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> So here comes the portion of the show where I disagree with both of you guys. Oh, no. Because I really like this movie. Really? For every reason you guys said it wasn't great is a reason I like it. And yes, (laughs) I'll go on record. I like Josh. Josh the friend was funny. He was (laughs) endearing. And I enjoyed his dialogue. Uh, Yeah, he's a he's a bit exaggerated, but this is a horror movie where exaggeration is kind of par for the course. Mm -hmm. And here's what I'll say about this movie. It homaged slashers in a way that didn't feel hacky, uh, no pun intended, but it felt as if Christopher Landon was actually homaging what came before the down to the fonts used in some of the title cards are straight from Friday the 13th. He's well aware that he is. He is ripping off some things left and right. Vince Vaughn's serial killer character is basically Jason Voorhees. He wears a mask just like Jason. He says nothing just like Jason. And he moves slow just like any of the other slashers. Um, and and sure, Vince Vaughn's character, the serial killer part, he doesn't have a lot to to say or do because he's Jason Voorhees. And and when the, the body switch happens – And Catherine Newton, of course, can't just walk around saying nothing. She actually has to have dialogue as the serial killer. I think they did a fine job of kind of fleshing out this depraved uh, psychopath. I mean, he's not very nuanced. He he wakes up in a bedroom full of like severed doll heads and stuff. So, I mean, it's not like it's deep or anything, but it doesn't have to be. And in Vince Vaughn as the teenage girl, I thought it was good. I thought sure he's he's exaggerating a lot of stuff but again it's vince vaughn doing comedy and i kind of miss that maybe that's what it was maybe it's because it made me think of his time in uh wedding crashers and and that era old school where you know he's just kind of whenever he's on screen all eyes are on him yeah and 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 it's still like that in this movie and and he goes for it, man. He commits uh, in a movie that he might not have needed to 20 years ago, but he has kind of, you know, faded away a bit. And so it was nice to see him kind of commit to this ridiculous role. And you mentioned, uh, I think it was Mike mentioned his his recent films being more dramatic, like Dragged Across Concrete and uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99, I think was the other one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very different than than what he does here. This is very much this is a movie that could have come out after Wedding Crashers and you guys would have been like, oh, yeah, that's Vince Vaughn for you. Uh, <laughs> it's true. So so I, I, I kind of enjoyed it uh, a lot, actually. And I I definitely have a soft spot for the Happy Death Day movie. So I'm rooting for the director. He's he's kind of three for three in his last three movies for me, uh, including this one. So, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I thoroughly disagree with both of you guys. I think this is, <laughs> this is uh, a fun time. I think it's funny when it needs to be funny. This, uh, oh, that's what I was going to talk about. The House of Wax mention uh, I think is, is not quite right either. I think Aww. the kills, I, I know, I'm sorry. I got more Scream vibes. Yeah, it, it is a little self-aware uh, yeah. for sure. Uh, there's a, there's definitely a scene where Josh says like, he's running, I think it's in the trailer. He's running away with, um, his other friend. And he mentions the fact that he's gay and she's black. So they're both doomed. You know, there was those scream vibes, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the kills, 
I think are very creative. Right from the get-go, uh, in the opening cold open of the movie, you get to see Vince Vaughn's serial killer kind of do his full-on Jason Voorhees. And the kills are so ludicrous that I just found myself like like just laughing. And not in a bad way, like I'm laughing at the movie, but just like how ridiculous it was. It kind of set the tone like, okay, this isn't trying to scare you per se. This is just trying to go for entertaining. And uh, yeah, so I think it succeeded. Okay. I mean, I... <laughs> I still say, man, Alan Ruck did give me a couple of giggles just seeing him as that, like, asshole teacher character. Has there been a bigger asshole teacher in recent memory? He is (laughs) the worst. Uh, And I will say there was a scene in the backseat of a car um, (laughs) that made me very, very uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And not because of the, the, you know, the, the sexuality context of it. It just didn't work for me. The scene didn't work at all. So uh, I I, I thought as I'm watching it, I thought maybe uh, you guys might have an issue with that. And that's fine Um, because, yes, it is. There are some there's a creepy undertone the whole time that they're in the backseat of this car. But I kind of saw it as as genuinely kind of sweet. But, yeah, I guess I guess I'm crazy. Who knows? You're fucked up is what I'm saying. Wow. Two things. (laughs) Two really quick things. This is totally like old man Farver here, but I'm, maybe it's just because we also just saw the craft. But um, I'm watching this movie, and in particular the character of Ryler. Um, okay. I, I'm I'm watching this movie, and I, I actually said this out loud. Gosh, these kids are so mean, and I just <laughs> I, I don't know why I was just getting really upset about about young the the youths these days. And the other thing too, uh, to answer your schools, question, it is old man Farver. Old man Farber, yes. Yeah. How many schools have cryogenic therapy chambers <laughs> in their gymnasiums? Hey, I was I wondering the same thing, dude. You know, here's the thing. Athletes use cryo stuff. It's a I thing. know. I know. Maybe this is a really wealthy school, and they're just trying to get their football players healthy, you know? I mean, sure. clearly there's a girl named Ryler there, so there must be some wealth. <laughs> yes, yes. That is a, a name associated with high high bank accounts. Oh, my God. That name drives me nuts. So, OK, can I ask you guys a question? Uh, we've talked about Vince Vaughn and and this is the Vince Vaughn show. Um, so is Vince Vaughn back? Uh, this ah. is his first mm. comedy. Uh, well, maybe not his first comedy in a while, but his first high profile comedy after doing the the aforementioned dramas. So is this a return to form? Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I hesitate to say that he's ever really left. I mean, he's I probably agree. fallen out of favor for a lot of a large portion of his audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that just got tired of, you know, the cliche comedies. But I, I think he's done some really good stuff, you know, in between here. Like you said, Brawl in Cell Block 99, Drag Across, across Concrete, Fighting With My Family was good. Um, he I had about fighting you know, with my family. That is pretty yep, good. He had Hacksaw Ridge. He was in it. He was in uh, oh, True yeah. Detective, which you know it was uh, a, the worst season, but he wasn't terrible in it. Um, <laughs> but but to to be fair, the reason I ask that is because the movies you're naming, uh, he does yeah. a serious role. Even in yeah. fighting with my family, he's he's playing the 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 hard ass. So yeah. this is a this is more like I said of the Wedding Crashers old school Vince Vaughn. Yeah, so it's kind of a warm the, blanket in that he's coming back as the guy, you know, that we true. all fell in love with. So do you think that this is the trajectory or do you think this is just a blip? I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'd love to see either. him do all of it. I know he he 
recently mentioned that they were talking seriously about doing Wedding Crashers 2, so maybe it is him going back to comedy. Uh, another question, I guess, uh, that this one, I don't know if you guys caught on to this, but this is something that really um, stuck with me throughout this movie. Probably from the second I saw Catherine Newton's Millie character. I don't know that you guys read into this as much as I did, but... <laughs> I immediately wondered what Christopher Landon, the director and co-writer, what his thing is about blonde girls with parental tragedy. Yeah. Um, The backstory for Millie, without getting into spoilers, is very reminiscent of Tree, which is a terrible name, but Tree and Happy Death Day. Uh, What do you guys – did you guys notice that or or am I, again, like reading between the lines too much? No, I definitely noticed, and it, it wasn't really something I spent too much time dwelling on. I was just like, huh, the guy's got a, a thing, I guess, and then you know, the, <laughs> the movie just kind of played on. I'm not really sure what to read into it. Did he have – I mean maybe he's got just a, a thing for blondes and wants to make them – uh, you know, stunted in some way, and dead parents is the only way he can creatively do it. I don't know. Well, that's a very dark thing to think. I was more thinking that maybe he had parental tragedy and he's living it out <laughs> through his characters, but or maybe he does have a sadistic. Or maybe I'm just dissing want. his creativity and, and you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any thoughts, Brian, on that, or is that that just me no, reading into it? I know, and I I I noticed it. Um, yeah, I guess I don't I don't know. It, it definitely didn't. It definitely didn't bother me. Um, and I guess maybe that's where I'm kind of curious if it if it bothered you um because it didn't it wasn't really something that you know ruined the movie for me by any means uh what what i will say is that um the scene where she uh just focusing on her for a moment where she walks into the school in slow motion wearing different clothes and now knows how to put on makeup um i don't know these little things i picked up so i just uh, assumed the serial killer just watched some youtube makeup tutorials but did he have oh okay I don't really quick. I was about to say, like, does he have Internet in that in that weird place that he lives in? But that scene with the homeless guy, the scene with the homeless guy. Wow. That was incredible. I actually have no problem with that scene with the homeless guy. And I look forward to more films with that gentleman, whoever he is. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's in Mink. I don't know. Let's hope he's in Mink. Uh, I was probably too furious about the name Ryler at the time to really notice anything. <laughs> I, you have no idea how much that bothered me. I even said it out loud to my wife multiple times, like Ryler. Yeah, I I actually, I, I'm right there with you, Mike. Like that is a, and I found myself thinking to myself, "You're such a Ryler." Like I feel like I'm gonna start using catchphrase from now classic on. Classic Ryler. That's classic <laughs> Ryler. Uh, my other question is. Uh, one of the things that happened about two thirds of the way through this movie is I kept thinking like, clearly this is Blumhouse and, and, and this is, this has got franchise written all over it. And so I started trying to, to pre pre guess like where the sequel could go. And uh, I'm not exactly sure that this directly sets up a sequel. Um, There is an offhanded comment about what could happen. Uh, Basically the idea is brought up that maybe the knife could fall into other hands. It's a, it's a, to, to go back, there's a knife that makes them switch bodies. So do you guys see this as a, as a potential franchise is, would you watch a freaky two where another girl switches bodies with the serial killer? What are your thoughts? I mean, I, I've the, the, what you just said is the same exact way I felt about Jeepers Creepers, which I, I'm just going to say, I really enjoy Jeepers Creepers, but in terms of a sequel to this, I mean, 
yeah, I would accept a sequel. It would have to be somebody of the same ilk as Vince Vaughn. Um, and I have no idea who that could be. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I would say maybe, and I'd probably still watch it, but I'm certainly not going to, you know, lose any sleep over whether or not there's going to be one. Yeah, they could, they, they did kind of set it up, but I don't know. What do you think, Mike? Uh, as long as they call it too freaky instead of freaky. Uh, yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm sure they'll make a freaky too if it makes enough, you know, money on VOD or whatever it is. <laughs> but uh, I, I feel like it would just be a rehash of the first story unless they can come at it with a creative, you know, kind of direction. But it, otherwise, if it's just like serial killer after serial killer grabs this knife and stabs somebody with it and we just get mainly the same story over and over again i'd be kind of bored with it that's true yeah i i actually uh towards the end of it i started to to wonder like are we gonna have like a bunch of body swaps like where's this going like i started uh writing (laughs) the ending in my head and you know thinking that maybe there was more to it and and you know again not not getting into spoilers but just to say it, it is pretty predictable in the way it goes uh any last thoughts on freaky i think we've uh i think my end thought is i enjoyed it quite a bit pretty fun slasher movie doesn't take itself too seriously uh good vince vaughn performance back in his his groove of comedy um so what do you guys want to wrap up by saying my final thoughts are who names their kid ryler i don't <laughs> get it You know, I'm going to email Christopher Landon and I will get an answer for you. Where did he get that name and why does it exist? Terrible name. (laughs) Brian. That's all I got. Go ahead. This makes me feel so good because I was I was getting a little little upset too. Um yeah. (laughs) I just feel bad for the people who don't watch this movie because they're gonna think that Ryler has such a huge role in this movie and she's in it for, you know, a very brief period. Oh, she's a giant role in this movie. Oh, stop. At least in my head. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Brian, any last uh, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's worth at least one one viewing. Um, you know, kind of like we've said, and it's again not bad. Just nothing that I will remember after we finish this podcast. Uh, <laughs> this is where uh, I believe we're going to switch roles. Ha ha ha! Uh-huh. <laughs> because we're going to talk good. about Batman. Um, yeah, yeah, this is the, the moment we've all been waiting for, uh, (laughs) just to pull back the curtain. We have talked Mm -hmm. about this movie quite a bit off mic, just because it was one of those where we kind of all at some point were like, did you guys watch this movie? Because it's nuts. Um, (laughs) and, and the, the, the synopsis basically says it all, uh, fat man stars, Mel Gibson and Walton Goggins and mel gibson plays santa claus and the the movie's about santa claus who has to contend with the hitman sent from a disappointed child um that's a short sweet to the point synopsis that basically sums up everything to to set the stage like i said mel gibson's santa uh he is exactly who you think mel gibson would be as santa uh very grumpy very gruff uh very low voice (laughs) and walton goggins plays the hitman who I believe has the wonderful name of Skinny Man. So, yeah. you know, they could have called it Fat Man v. Skinny Man Dawn of Christmas, but they chose not to. <laughs> oh, my. Yep, oh, yep, my. best opportunity. Uh, and uh, there are other people in this movie. Uh, some do well, some don't. But I will go to Mike. Uh, lead us off. What did you think of Fat Man? Yeah, so uh, I know how both of you felt, but I I thought – 
for what it was, it wasn't a terrible movie. There were a lot of things that were poorly executed, but ultimately I liked the conceit of it. I liked having this weird, gruff, gritty Santa Claus and just seeing these weird, twisted like uh, takes on the Santa Claus legend or or whatever you would call it. Um, and, you know, I, I, the basic premise, like some disappointed child gets a lump of coal on Christmas and decides that, you know, he's so – uh entitled and and whatnot that he decides to send a hitman to kill santa claus so uh that i'm i'm totally on board for and in the movie that that sets up what we got is kind of I like weep a for middling, your childhood what's that i weep for your childhood if you're on board <laughs> with the idea of a child hiring a hitman to kill santa claus but continue <laughs> well he's a rich entitled you know parentless for all intents and purposes douchebag in training basically so I, I totally get that kid specifically hiring a hitman and having hired a hitman multiple times to do whatever he wants him to do not necessarily kill people but you get the the feeling that they've been doing business for quite a while so uh you know i'm, I'm on board with that much i'm not necessarily on board with how it was executed i think it was at times entertaining and at other times very either boring or just there were some really weird acting choices, not necessarily by uh, Mel Gibson or uh, Walton Goggins, who definitely had some weird acting choices. But there were some you know <laughs> lesser parts that uh, really were terrible, <laughs> just flat out poorly acted. So, I mean, when the, the movie was all over i felt like it was a unique experience at the very least i was entertained throughout would i watch it again or you know every christmas is it a new christmas classic definitely not uh but i was i thought mel gibson uh, who was in a completely different movie from everybody else i will say his performance <laughs> versus everybody else in the movie it was just like watching a guy who thought that this movie was his oscar movie or something like that he was playing it that seriously it yeah. was like i said before that it was like he thought he was in the wrestler and he was mickey rourke's character and everybody else was in a completely different movie um and walton goggins was i i thought he was really entertaining in the movie and and kind of had fun with that that hitman role um but like i said the the execution overall whether it be you know some poor writing at times or some just uh, poor pacing um really didn't make the whole experience something that I'd want to revisit. So I'm I'm kind of in the middle. I know where you guys stand, so I'll just pass you guys uh pass the baton off and and let you argue it out. Okay, Brian, go. Well, yeah, I I and I'm going to say just right off the bat that there are so many things I agree with with what you just said. What I will say is that I I really had a good time with this one. Yeah, Gibson's playing the gruff guy. Walton Goggins, who I, I mean, I, I think back to just two years ago when he was the bad guy in two movies I didn't like. I did Tomb not enjoy Raider. Two, Tomb Raider, of course. And um, I, I did not enjoy what he brought to Ant-Man and the Wasp. I, I really just didn't care yeah. for it at all. Since then, um, and I'd seen him, obviously, in some of the Tarantino flicks, and 
he's great on the unicorn. I don't know if you guys have watched the unicorn, but I, I love him on the unicorn. I really have come okay, around on I, Goggins. I, I won't let you mention his credits and end on the unicorn. He <laughs> also was in what a, Sons of what Anarchy. A talking show. Yes. He was in oh, The Shield, awesome. yeah. Justified, He's, and Justified. Yes. yes. Those are the three that people need to watch. Also, The Unicorn. But, oh, <laughs> uh, no, he, I've, I've definitely turned a corner on, on old Goggins. I, I thought he, he was fine. The kid was a bit all over the place. And I have to wonder, you know, could another child actor have played that role better? I, I believe so. I don't think that particular individual was the best choice. I think back to like, you know, every year we're going to get a Christmas movie of some sort every single year. And like last year, we got kind of this Santa Claus year one film. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Klaus. I love the Klaus. Netflix animated movie. Loved yeah. Klaus. Yes. Yeah, and obviously, this is not in the same, you know, no. arena as Klaus. But um, <laughs> in terms of like bringing Santa into like a like a, a real world type setting and trying to bring some reality to to the the mythos of santa um i liked a lot of what they were trying to do i I don't think yeah like not all of it was executed perfectly but there were also parts of the movie that were just ridiculous enough to completely stick the landing some of the dialogue the dialogue would go this is very interesting from completely just oh my gosh are they really saying that and usually i'll i'll say that the kid was guilty of that to I was almost applauding like some of the lines Goggins had and some of his delivery, even some of his subtle things, like when he was eating dinner and he had to like lift up his notebook or whatever so that they could set the dinner down in front of him. Just like it's it may not make much sense to me describing it, but it was just a lot of the little things that he did, like when he was getting ready to go and and, you know, take on Santa and he's like the suiting up scene. Yeah, I just That's, thought he was, I call I wrote, I took notes. Yeah, he <laughs> He he was great. I I mean he was definitely the highlight. I don't know if I made that perfectly clear, but he was the highlight for me. I did not mind Gibson at all. Yeah, I and like I said off mic, I almost started watching it again. It's kind of odd though that I mean I'm sure even probably in the next few days or weeks will I have any real interest to watch Fat Man again? No, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch it. Certainly not going to show it to the kids on a Saturday night with a roaring fire ablazing. But uh, <laughs> it's it, it's I'll, I'll echo what I said a little while ago. For me, it was just ridiculous enough to almost completely work. It's not the best Christmas movie I've ever seen, but it's it's far, far from the worst. It's it's a good okay. time. All right. Enough of this. Go, go ahead. <laughs> <sighs> so I'll just immediately start with the Walton Goggins thing. His role is ludicrous. He, but it's not his fault. Like I said, I took notes. I, I, I told Mike this off mic. Um, halfway, uh, I normally, I try to avoid taking notes. I want to watch a movie, let it like kind of absorb it. But this, I just, I felt like I had to write some stuff down. What a great start. And so with Goggins, I wrote, Walton Goggins deserves an award of some kind for not laughing at every second of this film. <laughs> he has, there's a scene in this movie, people where he goes to the postmaster general to find out where the North pole is. And the postmaster looks at him and says, how can I help you? And Walton Goggins straight face says, I'm looking for the fat man. Pause. 
Santa motherfucker. Yes, that's, <laughs> I was thinking about that that same line. Yes, <laughs> that I it was infuriating. I thought that was <laughs> wonderful, to be honest. It is yes, wonderful so indeed. I, so here's that that kind of boils down my ultimate problem with this movie is it is a movie that feels like no offense to the the writer directors I think their names are the Nelm brothers no offense but it kind of felt like a movie written while smoking a lot of weed around your family <laughs> during Christmas it was this idea of like wouldn't it be cool if Santa had to shoot a or get hunted down by a hitman that led to this big shootout and it's like yeah that's cool for like a maybe an snl skit but for a two-hour movie wow it was not funny when it should have been funny it was way too serious when it had no right to be and (laughs) it was in a word terrible now yeah i know I, i can hear the the shock my problem with this movie ultimately is the kid yeah oh yeah the kid kid makes this movie into a kid's movie they talk about santa in this movie we talk about it being grim and gritty and it is trust me it is but this also has magic santa can heal santa still delivers presents in a magical sleigh with elves and and reindeer you know Mm -hmm. but it also exists in a world where an eight-year-old can lose a science competition call a hitman and have the hitman kidnap a little girl so that he can torture her to get his ribbon that exists <laughs> in this movie that girl was the worst actor or actress i've ever seen can i just you know, tell you it was <laughs> embarrassment it had to be wow. embarrassment because i i i just i can't believe that anybody in their right mind thought that that was a good idea for a scene that yeah. was unbelievable uh, there's also a scene where the kid decides when he gets his coal that for some reason in the snow, he must walk outside, kneel, scream at the heavens. I'm going to get you fat man. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. laughable, except it's not supposed to be a laugh. I don't think, I don't know what they're doing. The kid, I think it knows that it's ridiculous, obviously, but it, it has trouble finding the tone in a yeah. lot of parts in the movie. So the That's so true. It, it is ridiculous, and I would have been all about a ridiculous, over-the-top, grindhouse, Santa versus Hitman movie, right? That could be fun. But there are moments, like you said, Mike, where Mel Gibson is is playing this as if he's going for an Oscar. It is ridiculous because there are, are – uh, a large part of this movie, people – is Santa talking to Mrs. Claus about finances and going to the bank or I'm sorry, going to the post office to collect a government check because he's worried about how he's going to pay his elves. This is, this is like, I, I didn't, I just didn't know a movie I was watching because those scenes do suck. I will tell you yeah. they, they, they do yeah. suck. Yeah. It, it, this is a, a fantasy movie that wants to be so real, but also wants to be, uh, insane and it really can't have it both ways because what you end up with is is mel gibson playing it straight talking about financial issues government checks taking a government contract so he can get his elves to to make weapons or something i don't know and then you have walton goggins who's playing <laughs> this over-the-top ocd hitman who has a really weird uh aggression towards santa that stems from you know childhood and he's kind of playing this dark comedy um, and, and he is good. He commits yeah. totally and 
you know, it's just it's a weird movie around him. And and then you have these cutaways to this kid that is just so annoying. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chance Hurstfield, uh, who plays Billy in the movie. This is not a movie you should have been in. Um, and, and I'm sorry that, you know, I seem to be poking fun. But wow, that, that is weird choices all around. Um, so, yeah, I did not like this movie. Question for you both. Um, with the whole Santa concept, I mean, they established pretty early on that he is is Santa Claus, and that's no, I don't, I don't think that's a spoiler. Um, in, really, he's in the Chris. first act, he's yeah, Chris. he's Chris. Yes. Would it have been <laughs> would, what? What's would that? It have been <laughs> from the Santa Claus? Come on, guys, come on, oh, guys. it oh, is. <laughs> Judge Reinhold. Vice versa. Okay, all right, all right. More Judge Reinhold references than you can shake a stick at, folks. Ish. Uh, would it it have been better if they had saved, if they, if they had hinted at it throughout the film until finally at the very end, it, it, it's just fully revealed that he is in fact Santa Claus. Like it's just, they they never really are very clear. It's very vague and foggy throughout the movie. Would it have been better if they'd done it that way, as opposed to like for me the first true and like. Oh, okay, he's Santa Claus. Is that scene with the military officials where he says that comment about kids getting coal or something like that? And then I was like, oh, well, that's kind of a, a lackluster way of. of I'm going to cut you off right secrets. here and say this is a terrible idea. <laughs> this is a terrible idea. I'm sorry. Brian. I don't know. That's why I'm, I'm asking you guys. So, yes. so here's the thing, Brian. You mentioned a scene where there are government officials talking to Santa about coal, yeah. and that is an actual scene in a movie, people. There is a scene in a movie where government officials come to Santa's house in the North Pole to talk, to negotiate contracts with him so that he can make enough money to pay the elves because guess what? He only makes money if he makes toys. So the government is trying to convince Santa to give unworthy kids toys so that they can pay him more. It's – that yeah. shit crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I just like there are things that in this movie, man. Unbelievable. So uh, I do have a question for you guys too. First off, uh, why? No, kidding. Uh, <laughs> is this a movie for kids or is this a movie for adults? Uh, it's absolutely not a movie for kids. Isn't it rated R? It, yeah, okay, rated R. rating aside, f bombs aside. Do you think that they they this wants to be a movie for kids? No. Okay. No. Not at all. The only reason I ask that again is all the shots of this little kid who is acting as if he's in a Disney movie. It confused me. Even the like yeah. music that's playing during those scenes, it's like, do you hear what I hear? Like it really reminds me yeah. of like an old school. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. The vibe is very different for some of those those kids scenes. You're right. And then um the we have to mention this just because it's a Mel Gibson movie. Mel Gibson is an actor that is very polarizing because of his his past controversies, and it's interesting to watch him in a movie where he's trying to be Santa Claus. And 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 <laughs> to be fair, this is a movie that he's he's really not a bad guy at all. He does nothing controversial, I guess. He's he's really trying to be be sincere and Santa. Um. So is this a movie that people can watch where it's enough to get that uh? controversial stink off of him or or is this something you guys still thought about while watching uh i knew it was going to be a thing just because mel gibson is mel gibson nowadays um but ultimately i enjoy him as an artist 
can you remove the the art from the artist though is a conversation that you know you come across with a lot of this stuff like any i mean before this all happened you know we were celebrating him for braveheart or conspiracy theory or ransom or whatever the hell you bring up here um he's yeah he's got a lot of them um and you know that was something that i wrestled with with uh the one that we mentioned earlier dragged across concrete he's also in um but he's really good in it and the movie is really good so i i have a hard time not like separating him from you know his his misdeeds i should say um but uh i'm able to ultimately either enjoy or or not enjoy on the movies that he's in on their own merits like i said yeah. dread C- across concrete is a great movie fat man I could go either way. Obviously, Charles likes would would rather you didn't. Brian definitely <laughs> thinks that this is a new Christmas classic that he will have <laughs> under his kid's tree next year. Yeah, I want to be I want to be in the room when you're like, okay, kids, we're done with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's time for <laughs> Fat Man. Yes, it's time okay. to learn why Santa needs to go to the post office to collect his government checks. <laughs> <laughs> And if you're not good, then the elves are going to have to make weapons for the military. <laughs> you're dang right. <laughs> Brian, uh, is, is the really stink tough. off of Mel Gibson? Oh, I mean, I've, I'm totally in the same boat with Mike on this one. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if the stink is necessarily off, but he has made so many great films. I, I can't, I can't disagree with a single thing that Mike has said here. Um, I don't know. The Beaver. How about that one? The, oh, I forgot about the Beaver. Oh my lord. The Jodie Foster classic. Yes. Um, I, I'll say this. You guys talk about separating art from artists. I've never been one that's been able to really do that. Um, that being said, it doesn't matter if this was Mel Gibson or Leonardo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt. This movie just wouldn't have worked for me. Uh, <laughs> that said. Uh, I will give Mel Gibson just the the smallest bit of credit that it took me about 10 minutes. But after 10 minutes, I did kind of forget it was Mel Gibson. Uh, maybe it was the crazy that was going on around him that mm. helped. But it was it was something where he kind of puts a little bit of, of extra gruff on his voice where it doesn't really sound like him. And and the the movie never relies on him too heavily, believe it or not. So, yeah, I. I don't think the stinks off of him for me personally, but yeah. uh, this movie was less difficult, um, I should say, to so watch. Yeah, I don't know that he'll ever be, you know, completely back, as a, you know, no. people would say. But I think he's the best case scenario for casting in this role. Uh, but he didn't necessarily get the best movie for, for right. what the the premise was. Here. Well. I've uh, I've kind of said my piece, but is there anything you guys want to say before we move on? In terms of Christmas films, at the end of the day, you could do a lot worse. What's that movie with Matthew Broderick and See, Dane I'm not going to let you go there. Deck the Halls. Deck I'm the not Halls. Gonna, I, mean, I will not allow you to come on this podcast and be you know Deck the Halls. I should, <laughs> I, I'm going to have to eat my shoe on this one because one of my all-time favorites is Surviving Christmas. So See, yeah, never mind. You've, you've already disqualified yourself from this conversation. Forget it. I haven't seen either of them. I, I guess I'll have oh. to do that, and we'll have to have a Christmas episode. The great Danny DeVito, Matthew Broderick, Deck the Halls. Come on. I never saw it. 
It'll be on TV eventually. It'll be on TV. <laughs> after go, go to Half Price Books. You'll find Rotten it Tomatoes gave it a six percent, so I'm expecting great things. Ooh. That just means ninety-four percent of critics are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what do you know? Charles Barfield wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the 6% is me and all my pseudonyms on other websites. <laughs> um, okay, so let's 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 stop with this fat man nonsense. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about real good honest to god movies by David Fincher. Hey. Uh, hey. <laughs> David Fincher has a new movie coming out. It's his first since 2014 with Gone Girl. It's a black and white period drama called Mank. It's coming to Netflix uh, in December. But the reason we're talking about Fincher now is actually if you're uh, brave enough and or lucky enough to have a local theater that's going to play it, uh, you can see Mank in theaters this weekend. Um, I will not be seeing Mank in theaters this weekend, but if you can and you choose to, go right ahead. So we're going to talk about Fincher. We're not going to talk about Mank. So before we get into our, our picks from Fincher, I want to just kind of ask you guys real quick. Uh, what are your thoughts on David Fincher as a filmmaker altogether? Start with uh, Brian. Overall, I, I'm i not going to say I love David Fincher, but I've really, really enjoyed um, a number of his films. And when I say enjoyed, I mean some of his movies are probably in my probably in my top 25. Okay. Um, and, I mean, there's one in particular that I love more than others um i don't know if we're getting into that just yet are we getting into not that yet, uh, not yet not okay. yet okay but keep them in um, <laughs> yeah uh that said there are some that i really do not care for but i mean the ones that uh that i really enjoy i think i absolutely love overall i think he's pretty darn consistent um to the point where i'm able to excuse maybe the films i perceive as lesser quality and i'll say this right away that his lesser quality uh is still you know genius um in comparison to some other directors out there so yeah i have no problem with him and i'm really really happy to see that he's back making uh films again after yeah i didn't know it was six years i didn't realize that since gone girl that's kind of he was crazy. doing he was doing mind hunter so he wasn't yeah you know just sitting around but yeah, yeah. his first feature since then mike what do you what are your thoughts on fincher just quickly yeah I'm a huge David Fincher fan. Like like Brian was saying, even the the bad Fincher movies, quote unquote bad, are still pretty damn good movies. So uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to Mank. I've really enjoyed pretty much everything he's done to you know varying degrees. So even Alien Three has its merits, even though we'll, he's disowned it. We'll get to um, Alien Three, don't yes. you worry. Of course. Uh, but you know, uh, I I think he's really you know he's uh, one of those very few talents that can do pretty much whatever he wants now. And I'm, I'm really interested in seeing what he does, you know, at, after this point. Yeah. I, I just to piggyback on what you said and what Brian said. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of David Fincher. If you, uh, read any of my stuff on the playlist or, or pretty much anybody who writes for our site, we were all pretty big David Fincher fans, which again, isn't all that shocking. A lot of people like David Fincher were not, you know, trailblazers in that respect so uh you know he's he's got a relatively small filmography he's kind of like tarantino he uh makes movies in a, on an infrequent basis so every time he does release a movie it's kind of an event which is kind of fun and because of that he's able to i i think make movies that he connects with each and every time obviously alien 3 is kind of the outlier but uh you know that's neither here nor there but of i think he's got 
10 non-Alien 3 movies. So it's it's a pretty short filmography. And uh, yeah, I think even a bad David Fincher film is immensely watchable and better than the very best from a lot of guys who are making movies uh, much more frequently. So yeah. not to, to end there, but we're going to talk about some Fincher films that have, have come before that personally for each of us, we really enjoy. And I'll start with Brian because uh, you hinted at, at, at what might be your favorite David Fincher movie. And I think it's a, a film that might surprise people. Yeah. Um, and it's also interesting in, in going back and thinking about this again last night. Um, I, I guess I kind of surprised myself even by sticking with this because it's uh, it's not Fight Club uh, for a long time. I really thought Fight Club was his best. And I think that would probably be the more I don't know if you guys would agree or disagree, but Fight Club is probably the more widely accepted best David Fincher film. But for me, it's the game. Um, I'll never forget in. This came out in 97, and I'll never forget there was a show on the E! Network called Coming Attractions, hosted by a gentleman named Todd Newton, where he'd show trailers. And on this show, I kept seeing the trailer for the game over and over again and just thinking that it looked so intriguing. And I did not see it in theaters. Uh, I was, but I think, 15 years old, so I was not able to see this this film. But when it came out on video, I, I... rented that quite a few times and every time I think I just got something new out of it. Such a cool premise. Um, it, it's just one of those movies where every person in it delivers a hundred percent. Do you want to get the basics real quick? Because uh, yeah. I, I, the reason I, I say that is of the David Fincher filmography, this might be the movie that people kind of gloss over quite a bit. Oh, and I agree with you. Yeah. So it's basically about this uh, guy. I believe he's some sort of a, he works in finance played by Michael Douglas and very much a wealthy loner. I wouldn't say he's a Bruce Wayne type, but he definitely lives a very isolated existence. And he's a his, dick. Let's just say a, that. He's a dick. He, he's a dick. Um, <laughs> he's He likes the movie Dick with Kirsten Dunst. Uh, <laughs> Focus. Strange, strange transition. But um, anyways, his brother, played by uh, Sean Penn, gives him a birthday gift um, one year um, and lets him know that it's he's giving him uh, this gift from a company called CRS. And the ga- the gift is basically this game that is going to take place that's tailor made for them. Um, nothing more is known other than that. Um, after going through the necessary testing, he finds out that he is not qualified or eligible for the game. Um, goes about his life until one day the game begins. Um, dun, dun, and, dun. Yeah. And <laughs> all this, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to explain what happens after that, but let's just, you say shouldn't life, explain, honestly. Yeah. It's just, things start to spiral so wildly out of control. And, you know, where you think of the movies going, you're, you're, you're probably wrong. Uh, even I, 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 and I should probably just stop myself right there because this is a movie that's just best left going in with as clean as slate as possible. It's really, really fun. It's almost at times frustratingly fun just because you, like I said, you think that you have an idea and then something happens where this is just Fincher being Fincher, the twists that he's able to put in there. And again, I will give a hundred percent credit to the cast for helping this movie along. It's dark, but it moves at a super exciting pace. The scenes have this almost Tarantino build to them where it leads to something that, again, you either you saw it coming, whether you saw it coming or you didn't. 
doesn't matter because it just gets really more and more exciting and intriguing. And I, I love it. And I haven't seen it for a while. And I feel like that's probably a good thing because every time I see the game, I want to go in as fresh as possible. Um, so for those of you that haven't seen it, just take it in. It's really very, very enjoyable, very rewatchable. Yeah, I uh, just to, to jump in there, I actually thought I had seen the game for years. I was telling you, Mike, this, and I realized I was thinking of uh, Black Rain, the 1989 movie with Michael oh. Douglas in it. For some reason, I had put those movies together in my head. And so uh, in preparation for this, I, I turned on the game because I'm like, I'm going to rewatch this movie. And within five minutes, I'm like, oh, this is not the movie I thought it was. And you know what? It's actually really good. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I think I, I believe this was his follow up to seven. And there are definitely some influences where you can tell, like, maybe a studio is was telling him, you know, let's let's kind of do the seventh vibe again. Um, but it's 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 a lot more fun than seven, I think. And uh, yeah, definitely well worth your time if you haven't seen it. If you've thought like, oh, that's early Fincher. I'd rather watch Social Network again. Eh, take time. Watch this movie. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, yep. I, I'm just going to say something real quick. <laughs> uh, it's my least favorite David Fincher movie. Oh, uh, and and that's not to say it's it's a bad movie. I still think it's a solid flick, uh, but it's it's stylistically one of his more bland movies. It's in the 90s uh, mm. as far as it, it kind of blends with a lot of movies that were being made at that time, whereas Seven was very unique. The game uh, as a follow up was kind of not uh, as unique as a lot of his films are to him. Um, So and that I I honestly I know a lot of people are probably going to be mad at me for this, but I don't like Michael Douglas in basically anything he's in. Uh, So it's it's an uphill climb from there uh, for me alone. But Brian, are you okay? Um. (laughs) I was going to actually ask if this had come first, if it had been maybe Alien 3, his first feature league film, then the game, and then Seven. How do you think that might have fared better? What do you think? Well, I, I think that's a, a, a hypothesis that, like, I, I, I think the game can't come without Seven before it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, interesting. That's yeah. Interesting. But, but that, <laughs> no, that isn't to say it's I'm derivative fine. or anything. I just, I, this very much feels like. David Fincher coming off of seven and trying to, you know, build from that and expand a little bit more. Sure. Mm-hmm. No, I, and that's, and I understand as long as you agree, Dick is still a really good movie. We're talking <laughs> about the, the, the 1999 film that I mentioned before. Dick. Yeah, no, we're not. Um, but Mike, any, Michelle Williams. before we move on from the game? I mean, I've pretty much given my Other thoughts than your on hatred it. of Michael Douglas. Yeah, I don't like Just Michael Douglas. Personal, you, and you <laughs> wish the worst on him. I, I do. You know, every time I see Ant-Man, he is the worst part of it. And I'm not lying about that. Um, he, he is genuinely bad in those movies. I'm just well, going to say it. It's not like he came from acting royalty or anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good point. Very good point. All right. So uh, so with yeah. that being said, I think this is a good transition to your pick, Mike. Yeah. So my pick was the movie we were talking about that came before this, Seven, uh, just because it's it's kind of like the that first real uh attempt for fincher to to do something that was was very much his own alien 3 was one of those movies where he he like it's very uh widely known that he had a miserable 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 time uh making that movie 
uh, and almost swore off directing altogether, but then, you know, came back to it with seven and had a lot more creative freedom. Um, uh, and, and it, it, it really worked for him and for the movie and, uh, obviously stars Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman as two detectives. Uh, Brad Pitt plays the rookie Morgan Freeman's like the wily veteran that's about to retire. Uh, and seven kind days. of, yes. Uh, and they, they're hunting, uh, w- uh, what they discover is a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins, uh, as his motives. So. Uh, I mean, right there, I think the premise is really interesting as a serial killer movie. I love serial killer movies um, and just detective movies where you're tracking down a killer, those kind of things. Like I watch a ton of 90s Morgan Freeman movies and, uh, you know, Ashley Judd movies just because those are super fun to revisit. And seven is is probably my favorite uh, just because it's somewhere. Fincher is like. Like who just compared me to Along Came a Spider? I'm not comparing him. Okay. To, this is okay. this is way this is in another class. Okay. Um. Just but, just want to put that on record. Yeah, I'm not saying uh, Kiss the Girls and Seven are the same movie, but they're both you know <laughs> worth your time. Double Jeopardy though. Double Jeopardy, great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Uh. So. Uh. Yeah. I mean, it, as far as you know, him being able to finally do that like gritty. Super like I, I I don't even know how to call it. it's like a grotesque like grimy feel throughout this movie that just uh, is introduced right away and and it just like lays throughout the movie and there's this feeling of dread that is throughout the movie even in the kind of lighter parts where him and Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are are kind of having a bit of a you know entertaining banter. Uh, it's still just kind of like there's this dark. It's constantly raining. There's yeah, the rain budget alone. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, except at the end, for some reason, it's not raining at the end. Um, but uh, yeah, I I I love 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 watching this movie. It's still entertaining even when you know where it's going, and even if you're like uh feeling like Kevin Spacey is super problematic and uh you can't stand him, he really doesn't show up until you know the last thirty minutes in the movie. I think. Yeah. Um, and and even then he's uh. I mean, it, he is pretty great as the 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 parts that he gets to, uh, or the scenes he gets to be in. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's one of his defining roles, along with you know Kaiser Soze and you know whatever. Uh, You're just else. spoiling all the movies from the '90s, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, but uh, you know, um, so I I I think it's just one of my favorite things uh of that he's ever done as far as fincher films uh, just because it's just it's such a good detective movie it's such it's so well acted by everyone in the cast even gwyneth paltrow who really gets kind of like sidetracked has some really really great scenes especially with just her and morgan freeman uh and then there's yeah there's obviously the the classic ending where it yes. ends on this huge twist that some people might see coming nowadays but Back then, only because I of the just, meme, though, right? Like, what's that? That's the the, the 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 ending of this movie is only predictable because this movie exists. Right. Exactly. Yes. To the audience that didn't know what to expect, the the ending of this movie is a gut punch, unlike anything else. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember the first time seeing it. It was just like a mind blower. So yeah, this is always my quintessential Fincher movie that I think of. Uh, 
whenever I, you know, talk to adventure. Ryan, what do you think of uh, seven? It's oh, no the game, but it's no, it's no the game. Uh, <laughs> but no, this is this this is extremely solid. Um, yeah, I it's, there's the vibe in this movie. I think he's done movies since then that are just wonderful, wonderful films. Uh, but this movie in particular, just the the atmosphere about it is is just unbelievable. It's one that I, I, the phrase dark and gritty, Mm -hmm. you've seen that applied to, you know, other films, you know, and some people have executed pretty well. There's other filmmakers that have tried to pull that vibe off. The Crow is another good example of that. And I will say this, uh, you would not have Memento without seven. That's true. I agree. That is very true. I just, yeah, I love it. I, I mean, when I watch this movie, I rare is the experience of watching a movie like seven where I can feel myself pulled into it and I can feel the rain, like you said, and I can feel like when they're, when they're coming across some of those victims in the film, you feel like you're there. You almost feel like, like a little dirty watching a movie like that, which is just a testament to Fincher of really drawing you in. And, and again, I'll just say that for one of the first times I ever saw uh, Brad Pitt in a film, I think that was one of my, the first Brad Pitt, films i ever saw he really made a very good first impression on me that's it's still one of his best roles i think and it's so well paced like a lot of fincher's films are a little bloated maybe could lose a little time uh seven is just almost perfect as far as how it's paced Uh, yeah i i agree with that too i think uh kind of setting the parameters right off the bat like I, i joked about it but Morgan Freeman does say, you know, you have seven days, you know, and yeah. and because of these restrictions and the pace at which the the kills happen, it's it's just when there might be a lull, something happens and you're like, OK, here we go again. Yeah, I think uh, just to, to quickly wrap it up, uh, the the sound design in this in this movie is great. I was uh, rewatching it again for this and uh, I'm lucky enough to have a pretty decent sound system. And the rain is just it it almost becomes annoying how real it sounds because it, it <laughs> yeah. muffles the dialogue to where you can, you have, you, you can hear them. It's not like a Nolan movie, but it's, uh, the rain is just like omnipresent. It's always there. It's yeah. like this hum in the background. It's always there. And, and not just that you, you mentioned like you feel gross or dirty watching this movie. It, it there's a, the, the first kill is a, uh, the first crime scene, I should say, is the uh was it gluttony i believe where the guy is uh face down in a in a plate of spaghetti and and his house is dilapidated it's it's really terrible and brad pitt kind of covers his nose at one point as he walks in and you can almost smell it like it is Mm -hmm. so well crafted that you can you just know exactly what that must smell like and it's terrible (laughs) so that alone i think is is super underrated in the movie um, yep. But yeah, great performances all around and, and just a classic serial killer movie. I think anybody who enjoys that type of movie ranks seven in the top three. They they have to. They have to. Yeah. Talking about serial killer movies, I'll get to my uh, my favorite Fincher film. And and I am a fan of the game. Like I said, I, I love seven. I think it's a, a very influential movie on my movie watching when I was a, a kid, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Says a lot about my childhood. But my favorite Fincher movie is actually Zodiac. Um, it's a, a bit of a controversial movie as far as uh, Fincher films go because it is one of his longer movies. 
though it is a serial killer movie, it's not seven. Um, and it is a mystery movie, but it's not the game. It is, I would say, the closest you could get to a documentary with three of the greatest actors working. Um, Zodiac stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, and Robert Downey Jr., who, if you were trying to put him in a movie nowadays, it would have to have Avengers before it. Uh, <laughs> it is about, obviously, the Zodiac Killer and the uh, the unsolved nature of those cases. And I think it's a, a brave movie in the fact that it is over two and a half hours long. And there are some uh, some pretty graphic murder scenes, but they aren't the driving force of this movie at all. The driving force, it's almost like Spotlight uh, to reference yep. a more modern movie, it, it, or uh, All the President's Men, I think is is really kind of the influence here. But it's a movie that is about the process of uh, finding and tracking down a serial killer. It's about the guys who write the stories in the newspaper. It's about the guys who go to the crime scenes and try to piece it together. It is – that's all this movie is about. They and don't even they just can't let it go. They yeah, you just yeah. this is a, a crime that, that to this day people talk about. So to be fair, it's not that these three men can't let it go, it's that this whole world can't let it go. Mm-hmm. But they don't even talk about their families hardly at all in this movie. This isn't a movie that takes a break for twenty minutes and shows, you know, uh Mark Ruffalo's family life. This is a movie that is completely focused on the process of trying to find the zodiac killer and all that details every last detail every interview every paperwork thing going to i mean you learn who had uh the handwriting specialists you see more handwriting specialists in this movie than you do police officers i think it is it's (laughs) unbelievable in that sense that it's so detailed and and i really think it speaks to to fincher's strengths and his perfectionism because it is a, a beautifully crafted movie. And it's it's really kind of, in my eyes, it's him kind of firing on all cylinders in the sense that this is well after seven. He's he's established himself as 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 Fincher, you know, and and he was kind of given carte blanche to make his movie. And, and he makes what is the truest true crime movie, I think, that, that we could ask for. What are what are your thoughts? We won't start with Brian because I know Brian has uh, differing thoughts. No, I'll keep good. those last. But uh, let's go, Mike. What did you think of Zodiac? Yeah, I love Zodiac. Like I said before, this one is a little more bloated than Seven. Uh, so as far as rewatchability, I don't go back to Zodiac as much as I would go back to Seven just because I can bust Seven out pretty quickly. And I have like the director's cut Blu-ray of, of Zodiac sitting on the shelf. Uh, so that one is so that one's a, like 14 a long hours, sit. I guess. Huh? Is that one like 14 hours? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's longer than Mindhunter. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it is beautifully shot as far as the cinematography is concerned. Uh, it is wonderfully acted. It is super engaging. Uh, even though it's, uh, uh, two and a half hours. I, every time I go back to it, I'm more engaged with the movie. So I, I just find so much, uh, in the detail of it, that is just uh, endlessly fascinating. And, and yes, I'm in the bag for a good serial killer movie. And yes, it's Robert Downey Jr. and Jake Gyllenhaal and Mark Ruffalo giving three of the best performances they've ever given. Uh, and it's Fincher at the top of his game as far as, you know, nailing it uh, as far as just the look and feel of that time goes. Um 
and I know it's a big time span, but it's uh, it's just one of the more exquisite serial killer movies. Uh, If you're not open to a long sit, I I mean, I wouldn't necessarily go with the director's cut. Um, But either way, it's going to be, you know, at least two and a half hours of your time. I think and and. To, to bring it to the running time, I think the running time gets uh, crapped on quite a bit. And I think in an era where people will watch like eight to ten hours of Making a Murderer or whatever yeah. Netflix documentary series is out that's completely bloated and could be chopped in half, I think this kind of gives a very long case, a very famous case, uh, all the detail you need really. And it does it in two and a half hours. I mean, it's – yeah. it's it, I think the running time is, is one of the least uh, worrisome issues with this movie. Oh, <laughs> you know, I, I make that sound. But again, I'm going to have to go back to what we've said before, that that his um, a David Fincher, you know, I'm just to jump ahead here a little bit. Um, what I might consider to be not one of his better works is still would be just a masterpiece in the hands of another director. Um, I will also say that I. I've seen Zodiac a few times. I have not seen it since its initial year of release. I'll just never forget my first experience watching it uh, with my cousin and walking out of the theater and just being pretty befuddled. Because, again, I was coming off of so many great films by that point. He really established himself as an, an amazing director, you know, with the exception of of maybe, I think, one film at that point. I was completely in Fincher land completely having, you know, holding residency in Fincher land. And I just remember thinking to myself about the amount of talking in that film and just, um, the, the, the phrase that I, I said was that, um, if you're going to see Zodiac, just be prepared for people that are going to be talking a lot because there's, there's just so much of it. Um, there's well, yeah, scenes but where it, there's a difference between like just talking and the, the dialogue that's happening there and the process that they're walking you through, like the social network, another Fincher movie is all talking. It's all, you know, uh, you know, just, yes, dialogue driven drama, but it's true. It's the way he, he engages you and, and the way he engages that dialogue and the way it's shot that, I think it's really fascinating. That's and that's a good point. But I will also say too that you know the social network had the benefit of Aaron Sorkin. Um, yes. Where with this one, I mean, there's a lot of like even just moving on from the dialogue for a second. There are so many scenes where I mentioned with the game how the tension would build and it would just eventually explode into something that you know a scene would just have a really good crescendo. This movie, Zodiac, has that. There's some scenes in particular, like there's one in, I'm not spoiling too much here, but there's a scene in a house. You can spoil a 50-year-old cold case. Fine. (laughs) Uh, There's a scene with Jake Gyllenhaal where he's in this house and it's really tense and you think it's going somewhere and, oh, God, this is, I don't like where this is heading. I feel really uncomfortable. And then we're on to the next scene. It's just, it's a lot of that over and over again. This is what I will say. And again, another testament to what Fincher can do with his cast. I, I don't have a problem with what anybody's doing here. They all work very well with Fincher. 
Uh, they all work very well in their own right. I, I have no problem with any of the leads in this movie. I also didn't know until I was looking up this movie the other day that the gentleman who played Minkus on Boy Meets World <laughs> yes. is, I think he's the first victim in the movie, yeah. Yeah. if I recall. Yeah. So, yeah, a little spoiler there, but uh, good old Minkus still getting work. Um, but 13 years ago, but yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a movie that's, that tries but ultimately not one I'm in any hurry to revisit again, but yeah, I I I get that. I get that. I think, I think it's a movie that when it initially came out, because this is the guy who directed seven people were thinking Zodiac killer meets seven. Oh my God, this is going to be so tense and gory and, you know, scary. And, and what they got was a journalist slash crime procedural, uh, emphasis on procedural and it's uh it's a completely different tone and uh i think in hindsight people are able to look at it and going into it knowing what it is and enjoying it in that sense and i think that's really where it shines i think you if you only know david fincher from the guy who did seven in fight club this is going to be a movie that really is going to throw you for a loop but if you're a fincher fan that puts social network up there or even like uh mind hunter especially then you are going to Act, you're going to eat up Zodiac, and and I recommend uh, revisiting it. Yeah, and and on that note, Brian, I, I will mention it. Alien Three, uh, the movie that Mike says was uh, Fincher kind of wishes he could take his name off of, but uh, I know if you want to speak thirty seconds on Alien Three, Brian, I'll let you get it out of your system. I mean, <laughs> a lot of directors, um, their first movie is usually nothing to write home about i'll say this one i thought he really came out swinging yes he has admitted it's it's not his favorite experience yes you can see he's a lot literally of said he doesn't count it as one of his movies yeah okay but i mean and and we we had a really good discussion about alien and and the saga itself i i really like this movie and um you know, is it obviously? Do I prefer the game? Of course I do. Do I prefer other Fincher films? Yes, absolutely. But there, there's parts in this movie that are unbelievable. Like the scenes of the alien running through the corridors, and you see it from its point of view, are are really cool. Still, um, I was very young when I saw this. I'll admit, and uh, that last scene, um, it was just not shocking. But I've used the word haunting on this podcast before, and and that's what I'll say about the one of the last scenes in this movie is that it really did have a pretty major impact on me. Um, it's got that Fincher vibe though. It's got that dark, gritty, wet, disgusting Fincher vibe. (laughs) Um, But yeah, yeah, I, I, it's, it's not, it's not even the best alien film, but I, I do still enjoy (laughs) it. Wait, 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 let's revisit that. Are you actually saying that Alien 3 is not better than Alien or Aliens? Uh, <laughs> How uh, dare you? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Isn't it, I mean, you know, if we're comparing that to Alien versus Predator. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's, yeah, yeah. Thank it's you. not the worst, but it's, it is a, a a far cry from the first two. Yes, that's Amen. very true. Uh, yeah, on that note, we'll wrap up the Alien 3 talk because I think yes. it is maybe something we can revisit down the line because I'm sure we'll talk about Fincher again. But uh, it's a movie that even Fincher doesn't want to talk about. So <laughs> uh, with that yeah. being said, uh, we're going to wrap up this week. Thank you for joining me, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.